thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Please be seated. Wow. What a time together. I've been really moved, to be honest, and might need to talk to my wife when I get home. We might need to shift up to Brisbane. <laughs> the only problem hanging around with these guys is they only eat once a day. All day. They start in the morning and they finish at night and we go and have a rest at Nina's place and out comes the food again, you know, and I'm thinking, oh my Lord, how are we going to go here? But um, it's just so good to do life together, to do family together. And much of what I'm going to share tonight is actually, I think, a confirmation of who you already are. So I guess I'm just going to give definition to what God has called you to do. And uh, I, I just pray that what I felt, the hunger that's in the place is amazing. And I felt that this has such good take home. Uh, you, you take home what you hear. And I know that it's going to grow you as you go. Uh, my prayer is that you listen to the messages again, because uh, they're not just preachers, they're reachers. They reach us to help us on our journey. But I guess I can't go much further than a dad joke, maybe. You know, I, I carry a comb with me all the time. <laughs> Even though I'm bald, I just can't part with it. <laughs> uh, terrible, isn't it? Uh, I hired a handyman and gave him a to-do list. When I got home, only items one, three, and five got done. It turns out he only does odd jobs. <laughs> Sorry. My wife sent me a card the other day. It was a get better soon. And then she said, I know you're not sick. You just need to be better. And I go, that's not really good. So I sent a message back. I said, you need to embrace your mistakes. And she gave me a big hug. Not true, not true, not true, not true. The Lord wants to do some really good stuff here tonight as we're going to share this together. I felt as I was praying in my room today that God wants us to activate some of the things I'm going to share in prayer together uh, just for a few moments. And so the title of my message is The Church I See. And uh, in 1994, when I was in a catch the fire meeting in Adelaide, one of those meetings where God was moving powerfully in our nation at the time and we had just started our church. Some of you know this story and uh, I had no idea what to do. I thought, how do, how do I run a church? This is my first church. I was what I used to call happy scared. I was happy God had called us, but I was quite scared because I thought, what do we do? I, I haven't read the book. I don't know how to do this. And so I was at this meeting and I remember they were praying for me to catch the fire. And at that time, they thought our church, we'd only just started the church, they thought our church wasn't in the river. They used to call this thing the river, you know, and we weren't in the river because we weren't singing the river songs. Down the mountain, the river flows. I'd never heard it. And so they invited me to these meetings and they all got, all these people have got hands laid on me, praying for me to catch the fire. And I fell off my chair and I, I hit the deck on, on my knees and I literally felt like a fire burning within me and a voice inside my head, build according to the pattern. 
Build according to the pattern. I remember that night, my wife was up here in Brisbane at a Bill Wilson conference to study children's ministry because we started a church and I said, you're the children's pastor. She goes, I don't know what to do. I said, there's a conference in Brisbane, go and find out. (laughs) And in the middle of the night, I sat up in bed and I said, God, I don't know what the pattern is. And that was 1994, around about July. And from that day to this, Every time I read my Bible, the Lord gives me patterns. Patterns for leadership. And it blows me away that now on a Wednesday, I work for a carpet company. I think I told you the other night. And and I'm sharing these patterns with the secular world. And I want to tell you the Word of God works for the whole world. The Bible's not just given to us for church. It's been given us for life. And it works in every area of life. But during COVID, I've got to be honest, I was a little disappointed. I was a little taken back at how confused the church got. How the body of Christ around the world couldn't seem to come together on this whole subject. And I remember God showing me this pattern. He said, there's going to be church leavers. People that won't go back to church because they're going to do church online. Then there's going to be church cleavers but they're going to be churchians that want the church to stay the way it used to be. There's a difference between a churchian and a Christian. A churchian is a churchgoer. A Christian is a Christ follower. And I I believe God's wanting to shift something. And he said, but get excited because I'm coming now again in my church to raise up a new army of Christ followers And Christ-seekers, people that have never known Christ, are going to be coming to Christ by the thousands. And I've never led more people to Christ in all my years of ministry than I am right now. And I want to tell you, these are our greatest days. God is about to do something powerful. And, you know, the church that we've seen for a while has been confused over belief and behaviour, committed to connection over conviction, lived entitled rather than entrusted. But God's future church and what's beginning to be birthed right now is people that have a conversion to Jesus, not just join the church. You cannot walk with the church purposely if we don't walk with Jesus personally. Unless we walk with Jesus personally, we won't be able to walk with the church purposely. You've just heard I'm involved in a, a situation back in Adelaide and I'm shocked at how churchians react under pressure compared to how Christians react under pressure. I'm doing a message this coming Sunday on why is the church so imperfect? You know, God allows it to be. So we all become like Jesus. You see, if you're easily offended, God will arrange for it to happen (laughs) until you're not offendable anymore. And I always say, God, let all the issues that rise up in church world be an opportunity for us to see that you're at work in us and that you're making us like Jesus. And in that journey, we can all grow rather than go. And so God is doing something powerful right now in his church as we come and we see that conversion to Jesus is more important than just church attendance. Christ resemblance is more important than church attendance. 
Connection in a Christ-centered community. All this bit about doing Jesus online. As I look at my Bible, God is about to release, I believe, a new wineskin, a new leadership model where there is the one anothering anointing. And I feel it in this house. There's an anointing where we do life with one another. And we don't need to have departments that follow us up all the time, even though we have those things. But we do the one anothering, caring for one another so that the leadership can fast and seek God and hear from God. And God in 1 Thessalonians chapter two I think no chapter five he says honor your leaders who work hard amongst you doing the Lord's work and the Lord's work is to wait on God and to stand before God for the people and bring the word of the Lord back to the people but then it says do all this other stuff to one another look after those that are weak look after the weary tell those that are lazy to stop being lazy can you imagine if we did that today hey stop being lazy don't tell me what to do But there's a day coming of broken but open in the church. As I was coming out of some treatment, some medical treatment after my cancer journey, I remember saying to a nurse, I might have shared it the other night, where I said, bring me my phone. I need to write something down. And I wrote in my phone that God does not have grace for carnality, but He's got enormous amounts of grace for broken humanity. The fact is we're all broken. We all go through stuff and the church isn't perfect. But let me tell you, as we're broken but open, this is the greatest place on earth where we can be a hospital, we can be a community and we can be an army all at the same time. And I'm so grateful for the church that I see as we're moving forward. I'm pretty blown away by what's happened the last couple of days because I'd written in my notes about Jesus going into the temple with a whip. And cleaning out the temple. And boy, what a message we got last night. But I remember asking the Lord, and I don't want to re-preach that message, but I asked the Lord, if you were to come into our churches today and that you would come in with a whip, what would you clean out? And these are the three words that came to me. And I know it's God because they start with the same letter. (laughs) Personal agendas, polluted motives, and perverted mission. See, what was happening as we heard last night is there were personal agendas taking place in the house of God. And, you know, there are people that, this freaks me out, where the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If I'm resisting you, you're coming towards me. Do you know it's possible to pray, seek God and fast, but we only want him to bless our decisions. And he resists us because I give grace to the humble, but I resist the proud. And I believe we're moving into a place, again, I'm not patronising you, but what I love in this house, I've been to all the gigs, I've seen all the stuff. And what I love in this house is there's a humility. There's a humility, but there's also a security. I felt God say to me just three weeks ago, we need humility and security before unity can flow. We've got to find our security in Christ. And as we find our security in Christ, it's not who we are, it's whose we are. And I love that spirit in this house. I love it so much and I'll never get to my notes if I keep going like this. So I'll, I'll, I'll just go back to what I'd planned just for a couple of minutes because I heard that from 
Pastor Ken Lee last night, and I'm going, God, you don't have a speech impediment when you repeat yourself. You're trying to get a message across. And as I was home preparing for this time together, I'm telling you the honest truth here because I couldn't believe what happened when I got here. The Lord reminded me how we built in our church in 1994 a chapter of the book of Nehemiah every year. Flip. I get here on the first night, Pastor Mark gets up and gives us a one point from each chapter in the book of Nehemiah. And in 1994, God told me to do that and have a theme every year out of every chapter from the book of Nehemiah. I've just put them up there really quick. I'm not going to preach on them. I'm only going to take one tonight and give you a prophetic picture of the church that I see. But in chapter one, Nehemiah prays. In chapter two, he prepares. In chapter three, there is progress. In chapter four, persecution. And chapter five, postponement. Do you know every marriage has a chapter four? Every church can go through a chapter four where it seems like we've prayed, we've seen progress, we've prepared, we've seen progress, and then persecution. Just because we're in the will of God for our lives. I remember when my son passed away, I remember kneeling by my bed and I said, God, I don't understand. I really don't understand, but I trust you. And inside my head came these words, and I trust you. And I go, wow, God, you trust me? What do you trust me with? To finish your race strong? Because didn't, don't you think I knew when I called you, your son was going to die? Don't you think I knew that when I called you, that one of your sons would break so severely the whole world would hear about it? And by the way, that son today, after 10 years of restoration, is feeding between 1,500 and 2,000 street people a week in the city of Adelaide, running a mission for the broken. God knew, and I realised that when God called me, He gave me promises, and every single one of them has come to pass. I've literally gone through and ticked them all off, but He just didn't tell me my son was going to die. He didn't tell me I was going to get cancer. He didn't tell me all those other things, but because I watched him take me on a journey of biblical pattern and see that those patterns have been fulfilled, that I can in the times I don't have clarity, I can trust his sovereignty. We need a faith that can help us trust sovereignty when there is no clarity. And so I'm really grateful today. I, I, I had to go back to the church that God called us to plant. And I was speaking at a, a meeting about three weeks ago. And I walked in and as I walked into the downstairs part of the building, I stood right where my son got married. The spot where I conducted Chris's wedding, our son who's in heaven. He was 22 years of age. And I just stood there and all the emotions of the day that he got married and all the things that happened that day just overwhelmed me and I'm, I'm just crying and then I realised his son is now 22. My grandson is 22. And as I prophesy tonight, the God of the generations, which we'll talk about in just a moment, for a couple of moments, I watched that boy, he's in Pastor David Hall's church, he's on staff there, 
worshipping Jesus every week with his other brother, with his sister, who's now written a book that's gone on Amazon. She's 19 years of age called Waves and they're all the poems God gave her after losing her dad. Not bitter, but serving Jesus. And I'm so grateful that we can have real church. I'm so grateful we don't have to have karaoke church. I'm grateful that we can have something that we can deliver what we promise. We, we can promise the peace of Jesus. We can promise the love of Christ. We can promise that whatever we go through, His presence can be with us. And as I look back over all these chapters, you know, in chapter one, he prays, chapter three, prepares, chapter three, progress, chapter four, persecution, chapter five, everything's postponed as people turned on each other. And then chapter six, prosperity. And in 52 days, the walls of Jerusalem are built. In God's economy, how do you go from a chapter four and a five to a chapter six? It doesn't seem to work out. But over and over again, some of the darkest times in my life have been just before the breakthrough. And I've had chapter fours and I've had chapter fives and I've just hung in there and then straight away God moves and you see the breakthrough because I believe in this teaching I've carried all my life and that is God reveals, reverses, restores. He reveals a plan to you and then everything goes into reverse. And you think, what on earth is going on right now? I thought He promised. It's how you handle your reversal that determines whether you're released into your destiny for God. And we've got young people around the world today that think they have a call and they go straight into ministry and they're not prepared for that ministry because they don't realise God may call us and He may give us a ministry, but then He's got to kill that in us so we love Him more than we love the ministry. It's about loving Him more than loving the ministry. And so we began to take our church on this journey Chapter seven, positioning. People had to stand outside the wall where they lived to protect the wall. And that was a time of absolutely positioning people in their God shape. And then we get to chapter eight, which we're gonna talk about just for a couple of moments tonight, where the DNA is proclaimed. We actually called it the proclamation of the DNA of what God caused the children of Israel to get hold of. And that's where I saw a picture of the church that I see. Chapter nine, there's a pattern for revival. Oh, I can't wait to preach that one day here. A pattern for revival in chapter nine. Partnership in chapter 10. A positioning in the community in chapter 11. Praise and worship prioritised. There's two choirs are set up in chapter 12. And then chapter 13, all of that has to be protected because things can still go wrong with all that God leads and we have to come back and protect the vision. And we built our church for 13 years out of Nehemiah. So thank you, Pastor Mark, for sharing that on the first night. It's fantastic because it's more than a message. It's a pattern. And as we were worshipping tonight, and I haven't been very well today, so I had to sit down during the worship. I hate that. But, you know, um, I just felt this whole thought came to me that just like you spoke those patterns on the first night, little by little, I'll give you the land. God said, and you're going to have an anointing to not ever have to make big leaps, 
Because it's just little by little, little by little, little by little, I'll give you the land. Little by little, I'll give you the land. This church is going to be a very healthy, it is a healthy church, but it's going to continue to raise up generations and it's going to continue to um, build little by little. And one day you're going to hand over assets to another generation. And as you hand over those assets to another generation, they're going to go, where did all that come from? Because they will have a suddenly and go, wow, but yours was an everyday, little by little, little by little over many years. And God is faithful to this house because of the little by little. And so we're gonna go back to chapter eight, just for a couple of minutes. And I wanna speak into what I see is already in this house. And there's other houses like this. This is not the only one. But there's such a cry for authenticity. There's such a cry for the real. There's such a cry, does the God you promise, does He really do what you say He does? I don't wanna harp on it, but our son is running a mission called Lighthouse City Mission in Port Adelaide and we supernaturally were given a big warehouse to use and I remember him ringing one night and saying, Dad, the council's gonna shut us down if we don't fix the roof, fix this, and it's gonna cost $100,000 and it's gonna be done by the next three or four weeks or they'll shut us down. And a man I've never met in my life just comes and knocks on my door. We prayed together on the Monday and on the Wednesday, this man knocks on my door and he goes, God sent me here. He gives me a blank check and he says, you can fill it in and write whatever you need to write in there, even if it's the price of a house. And I said, I've never signed a black check in my life and I'm not gonna do it now. I said, I've never done that as a pastor. I don't wanna do that now. I won't do it. But if God sent you here, then he can tell you what to give. And he wrote me a check for $100,000. I got on my phone and rang my son and they met for the first time on the phone. A farmer who in the middle of winter turns up at my house with a pair of shorts on and a pair of flip-flops. And I thought we needed to take up a collection for him. <laughs> he had a, a beat up old Toyota truck outside that he'd had for a hundred years. They go on forever. And you would have never known. And God at the right time supernaturally provided because when we build that which is on God's heart, He does all that we need. He gives us all that we need when we decide to build what's on his heart. And so in chapter eight of Nehemiah, I remember this is 1994. And I've only typed the notes out this week because I've, I've just read it out of my Bible. And we're gonna read it in Nehemiah eight. It's a bit of a read, but all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square inside the water gate from early morning until noon, reading aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. To his right stood, I'm not gonna even try to mention these names. They're worse than Guglamucci. I mean, look at all these weird names. <laughs> to the right stood Maddie and then Shammah 
In Italian, that means someone who's stupid. So I don't know whether Shammah is a good name. But Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, man alive, I can't pronounce these names. To the, to the left stood Pedi-ay, whatever, Pedi-ay, I don't know. Mishal, Milkaja, Hasham, man alive, this is getting worse. Let's just move on. All those names. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Oh, they were Pentecostals. <laughs> then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, a whole lot of other names right there, worse than the others. And everybody remained in there. They instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is sacred before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they'd listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go on and celebrate with a feast with rich foods and sweet drinks at Nina's house uh, with Mark and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected said, and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep. For this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festival meal, to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they'd heard God's, word, God's words and understood them. I'm gonna give you the words right now. You can write them down and then I'll just pick on a couple of them. But as I read this in 1994 and I'm just asking God for His patterns, I wrote in my journal, sorry, in the, in the sides of the Bible, in the margin, the wide margin Bible, that I see, number one, a church of generations. Number two, I see a church of revelation. Number three, I see a church of cooperation. Number four, a church of elevation. A church, number five, of consecration. Number six, a church of celebration. And number seven, a church of infiltration. And I remember writing that in the sides of my Bible and I remember the tears that flowed as I said, God, help me build that church. God, help me build that kind of church. And now 30 years later, as I've been gone nearly 10 years now from that church, I look back and I can honestly say God helped us establish that kind of model church. And sadly, over the years, we can then try to go and do something else. But sometimes God will give us a pattern for our church that can be lived out through generations and it doesn't need to have a new label or a new change or a new this. It can have adjustments. Trends come, trends go but the patterns of God's Word live on forever and they work in every generation. And so the first one was a, a church of generations. It says that as Ezra opened the book and he began to read the high priest that everybody could understand, both the, the seniors, 
the all age groups and the children who were present could understand what was going on. And I felt God saying, I am gonna move on the planet in the next few years and bring a revival of truth back to the planet where we got little kids understanding what's going on. I'm seeing a revival right now begin amongst children and thank God for the children's ministry in this church. Thank God for the children's ministry. Four Friday nights ago, and I was gonna show it to you on video tonight, but time won't permit. But four Friday nights ago, my 12-year-old granddaughter, the daughter of Michael who messed up his life so badly, and yet now that 12-year-old girl standing up in front of a whole bunch of people from the community, and she preached. And I stood with my arm around her as she preached. And she quoted from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And she talked about anxiety and she talked about stress. And she goes, when I feel anxious and when I feel stressed, these are the Scriptures God has given me. And I quote them to myself every day to help me stay strong. And church, I wanna share that with you, she says, because if it can help me, it can help you. And I'm just there as proud granddad, tears in my eyes. And God can take such a mess and turn it into a message. It was so amazing to watch and to see because He's the God of generations. And I prophesy tonight a fresh move of God amongst children. We're gonna see God touch children in our churches and in our community like never before. And we're gonna see kids rise up and not make the mistakes some of their parents made and make choices that are gonna shift generational blessing where the curses are broken and the generational blessings can flow. He's the God of the generations. I am so glad about that. But number two, God is about to visit us. And I say this with deep conviction tonight. God is about to visit us with a revival of truth. We've had revivals of power. We've had revivals that make us feel good and feel the presence. And I'm not against any of that. I want all that God has. But let me tell you, there's love and truth that kiss each other. And I believe in a world where, you know, the world is in a mess. The world doesn't know what truth is. You know, Oprah can tell you that you can have your own truth, but there's only one truth. And the world is so confused. I did a funeral this week of a man who's had everything money could buy and yet lived such a miserable life. And I spoke to a room full of unchurched people at the funeral. And I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Our world has lost its way. Our world has got no idea of truth. Everybody's got their own truth. I've never in all my years of ministry have had to do counselling with young teenagers right now who are so confused about their identity. I'm sitting with them for hours as they don't know who they are. And I begin to share, I said to one young lady, do you believe in God? And she goes, yes, but I don't think He likes me either. And I believe right now what our nation needs is not just more things to make us happy, but we need a revival of truth. And I believe we're gonna see a coming back to the Word. Can you imagine Pastor Mark or Pastor Joseph or whoever's preaching, opening the Bible, we've only got phones there. I can't even read from a Bible because my eyes are blind. I have to have it all typed up really big. But opening a Bible and everybody cheering and everybody getting excited. Like when Ezra opened the scroll, people went crazy. They started weeping because the Word of God was being explained. And I wanna tell you, I've heard pastors apologise for the lengthy 
passages of Scripture they read in church on a Sunday because they don't want to bore anybody. Oh, God forbid. I pray that the day will come where a revival of truth will hit us, that no matter who's preaching, we will get hit by the truth of God. At the mission, we've just baptised 15 street people, people addicted to ice, coming in that are living in cars and have got no home. And last Friday night, and it's happened a few times, all we've done is open the Bible. And one person after another will come and stand at the front and read Scripture. No preaching, just read Scripture. And then as they walk off, Michael starts to, on the spot, sing a worship song around that Scripture. And we've seen such a move of God. And we need the preaching of God's Word. Please don't misunderstand me. But you know, as I was driving away, the last time I was there and we did this, and I'm, I'm in the car and I'm going, God spoke so clearly tonight just through the Word. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, put this thought in my mind. The Word does its own work. The Word does its own work. As I look back over my life, the Word of God has protected me. It's positioned me. It's promised me. It's propelled me. It's prophesied to me. The Word of God is not just a book of devotion. It's a book of direction. And as I've allowed the Word of God to pattern my life day after day, let me tell you, it's not just for pastors. And I believe the day's coming where our love for the Word of God is gonna grip us. I see pictures of Christians journaling every day, getting into the Bible and journaling and journaling and journaling because the Lord is downloading truth that we can live by. You see, when my son died, the church was awesome, but it wasn't enough. My own walk with God had to be authentic. Otherwise, it would have been why, 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 why? I was telling the guys at lunchtime today, I've got to move on real quick, but I was telling the guys at lunchtime today that four weeks ago, one of the most intelligent psychiatrists from overseas, and he works in Scotland, came and saw me. He was here on a family visit because his daughter had just committed suicide. And to be able to hold that man in my arms as he wept and his wife on the other side weeping over the loss of their daughter. The Lord gives me a word of knowledge and I was able to tell them why that suicide took place. And they said, we knew that, but nobody else did. How did you know? And then they, he looked at me, he goes, you understand our pain because you lost your son. And as we had our arms around each other, weeping together, feeling their pain, it wasn't just the emotion that helped them. It was what God had put in my heart when Chris passed that I was able to pass on to the psychiatrist and shared, when my son died, these four things happened and they can happen for you. And he goes, wow, I never heard that. Please pray that over us. And I want to tell you, friends, today there's a revival of truth that's coming back to Christians so that whether church is good on a Sunday, whether church is small, whether church is large, whatever happens, we have church inside of us. We are leading the congregation inside of us. And then when we come to church, we don't come to get, we come to give. We come to bring who we are to the house of God. And that spirit is in this church. Of course, there was cooperation as Ezra stood on a high platform and I remember in 1994, and I'm not smart enough to come up with this, God said, you know, people stood where their gift worked best. Yeah. 
And what I love about this church here is you have an incredible spirit of team. Not only do you have an anointing to raise generations, you're going to keep raising leaders. It's going to keep happening. And the day's going to come that not only are you going to bless this house with leaders, you're going to bless other houses and you're going to send people from this house to bless other houses because an apostolic house is a bending house to the will of God, a blessing house to send people from the house to bless the kingdom. And it's a binding church. It binds together and it raises up generations. So I see here a church of generations. In fact, right now, I want the musicians to come. I want to do something a little bit different and it's not going to take long. Right now, everybody that's 30 years and younger, I'd like you to stand. Everybody in the room that's 30 years and younger. Wow. Look at this, Pastor Mark. Now we're going to start worshipping. I wonder if we can do that song. I did ask for it earlier. And I think you, you guys are, um, the worship's gone to, man, another level in this house. I'm just loving it. It's just fantastic. I speak Jesus. We're going to sing I speak Jesus. And I want everyone that's sitting down, as we start to worship, I want you to look around and see those that are 30 years and younger. And I want you to quietly go up to them and anoint them in prayer and say, Lord, we release this generation into all that you have. But soon as you're finished, I want the 30-year-olds and under to pray for the people that are praying for you and thank God for mums and dads and thank God for older brothers and sisters that we are an intergenerational church and we're gonna be doing this together and we're gonna be holding hands together just like Ezra read the scroll and everybody could understand from the youngest to the oldest. I believe what God's gonna do in this house is there's gonna be a synergy of message that's gonna flow through the house and every age group will embrace it. And I think that is such a beautiful church to see. So as we start to sing this, I want folk that are sitting down to go and pray for those that are standing and then those that are being prayed for turn around and pray for the generation that's prayed for you it doesn't have to take long but I believe we're activating this by faith tonight in Jesus name thank you guys